Welcome to the Event Tech Podcast, where we explore the ever-evolving world of event technology every week. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event AV company that doesn't suck. Now, let's talk tech. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Event Tech Podcast. This is Will Kern from Endless Events. I'm so excited for this week's episode because we have the scintillating... Corbin Ball in the house. Uh, I had a, uh, actually. I, I'm pretty sure it, or it's scintillating. It's I. I don't think it's scintillating, but skint, scintillating, and it means sparkling and shining brightly. So I thought uh, Corbin really enjoy that that adjective. But if you don't know Corbin Ball, Corbin Ball is the uh, the master of event technology. I mean. Corbin knows it all. He has literacy and all, and he has written the ultimate guide to the history of event technology. So I knew that we had to have him on the podcast to talk about the history of event tech and where it's been. If you don't know Corbin, well, man, you just need to go to our site, search Corbin Ball, and you'll see all the times we've had him, specifically, especially on the show Event Icons, um, which the last episode we had him on was for our 2020 Event Tech Trends um, uh, episode. So go back and check it out, and you got to learn about Corbin's history. He's a genius, and you're about to find out why if you don't know him. If you do know him, you're definitely in for a treat for this one. Corbin, thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, today. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks, Will, for having me. And uh, we will have, I hope to have a scintillating conversation as well. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I love it. Um, awesome. Well, I want to dive into this one because there's so much history. I'm sure we could spend this into like a four hour episode. But, you know, you've written kind of a guide that's like a 60 year timeline uh, that essentially breaks down technology um, all the way back to 1962 with the Kodak introducing the first slide projector, which is kind of nerdy for me as an AV guy and I get kind of excited. But I want to kind of give you a chance to kind of start at a high level like how has event technology changed over the 60 years and then let's dive into the history and just kind of go down line by line well my background has been i started in audiovisual essentially I, I, my first job was a director of educational media in charge of audiovisual educational television and graphics at the at the western university and so i i started from that that standpoint so there there are a number of av references in those early days because that's basically all we had in terms of uh, of event technology back then state of the art was an overhead projector and if it got really good it was a carousel slide vector projector and so it's a yeah. um but it's it's been it was fun to put that article to, uh, together and it's there's been just a sweeping change i mean everything now everything um Every aspect of the event planning process and exhibition management can be assisted uh, by use of technology. And it's just been a, a sweeping change back from dark ages. Uh, even the dark ages, I ran my first meeting in 1979. And back then, we were in the dark ages of e event planning. It was uh, everything was hand registration is uh, processed by hand. The, pro the payment was process it was a carousel slide projector an overhead projector and an orator font on that that you know your ibm selected typewriter to get a slightly <laughs> larger uh, badge printing job and so that's you know that's where we started with this and it's just been really fun over these years to watch all the changes that have happened it's incredible too because like you say like 1979 is when you when you started and i just like jumped to the timeline in 1979 and for like reference 1979, CompuServe became the first commercial online offer a uh, surface offering dial-up internet to anyone on September 24th, 1979. Like, wow, that's crazy. Like modems were becoming you having your first cellular phone technology starts to network in Japan. Like 
it's crazy to think like, wow, like that you like you were trying to produce meetings without and like before any of that existed, yeah, <laughs> like it, is wild. It was wild, and it and that was the copy service well before the you know the the internet was used. It was, it was 1993 that CompuServe and all those other systems went over to using the internet. So it was real. That was the very early time of that. Yes. That's crazy. All right. Well, I don't want to like, jump the gun and like hop all over the place, but maybe we start at that beginning in that 1962. And I know that you say that like very much so it, Ventech didn't really start until the 80s. So maybe we really quickly kind of go through in the 1960s and 70s sure, um, with sure. some of your highlights and things okay. that you thought were crazy. And yeah. then um, and then we'll get maybe more of the nitty gritty after the 80s. So that sounds hit, hit us with some of your favorite things. Let's start at the beginning and tell me a little bit about some of the things that are your favorites. Oh, well, uh, you know, I think that, uh, uh, again, they're audiovisual, but, you know, the AT&T had the picture phone at the world's uh, New York World's Fair in 1964, and that was really a big deal with that back then. But, but of course, even later on, then, and the cost for doing that is completely out of the, out of the cost of, um, you know, $1,000 a minute to uh, run these things. And so it was a can real... You describe what the picture phone... I guess like people can Google this sort of thing too, but what is the picture phone? Well, like, I don't it, even know, I've never even heard of this before. It, it, well, it's the first uh, video conference phone, essentially, is what it was. You know, you could see a, a really grainy picture um, of that was going through. And so that's that's what it was. Is uh, And it, it required special lines. It's, uh, it's, you know, special data lines. And it was uh, mm -hmm. you know, a very expensive process. But the that's where they introduced it then that's the way of the future wow wow and the, yeah and the, little did they know that we would all have comp video conferencing in our pockets and that you literally could do it across the entire world all right let's keep going i'm like i feel like i can always take every one of these and be like but man if they had only known where we are now right but like i feel like that's gonna get annoying after a while so like let's yeah let's keep going this is cool this is so cool i, I just i gotta let you just keep going i'm gonna keep interrupting you because it's just <laughs> no so no it's um in, in 19 jumping for a little bit further 1972 giant screen projection TVs were first marketed as well. And they were uh, actual projection, you know, with, with they, it was a whole uh, different way of doing things where they, they, they had optics in it that enlarged and you know, rear projected on these very low, res, you know, nowadays extremely low resolution. But that was a, a start with that. Uh, 1976 Betamax was uh, the first video cassette recorder that came out. They, of course, they lost their way you know they lost the vhs so that, that was the first one uh, that came out and then um well in a in an event related one because it was an event in 1977 was the first uh west coast computer fair in san in uh, in san francisco which was the real start of you know as people started getting together you know apple computers had just come up with their apple II. the yeah. Um, during that time, IBM was starting to do some work with, uh, uh, with that, you know, 1975 is when uh, Microsoft was established. And, and so, it was, uh, you know, it was just at the very nascent uh, times of, uh, of computer technology. Wow. Wow. Okay. So uh, I, I want to kind of jump back, I guess, to think of, reflect on the, the video cassette recorder too, that, you know, I know that in like when I was growing up in the 90s um, that you could go to an event and oh if you wanted your performance wherever it is you could buy the recording of the performance and they had the, the cassette recorders and things like that as well. I think that's important to reflect upon because like now 
we we're so ubiquitous that like oh is this session going to be recorded oh like this is going to be on the internet and i can watch it whenever i want whereas like before they'd be like okay we're gonna record we're gonna put on vhs and you could probably like, only watch it a hundred times before like the tape finally degraded and it wasn't right. worthless but it's crazy to think about that like what sort of implications do you think recording of content has kind of shifted over the years oh it's it's just been it, back then you know one of the biggest ways back then was uh they uh, recorded on the audio cassettes and then distribute, you know, they'd have a mass audio cassette duplicating machine there. And, and by the end of the conference, you could buy these individual cassettes. And that was how you did it. And, and now, I mean, it's just so, so rich that we have, I mean, there's just uh, with all the virtual meetings going on right now, you, you use zoom for free and you get uh, you know, you can record, you can do all sorts of stuff with this. And then, you know, at, at no cost on a global basis, and it's just uh, it, our world has completely transformed. And, uh, and fortunately, now that we're in lockdown mode, you know it's been pretty good to be able to have a, at least some way to uh, reach out and connect with people and then stream the videos that we want. And you know it's a whole it's a whole different world than if it would have been ten or fifteen years ago. Totally. Imagine 10 years ago, like if the only way for you to enjoy content was to go to Blockbuster and Blockbuster was closed because it was deemed non-essential. Yeah. Like, I, I bet you Blockbuster would end up becoming considered essential. <laughs> but like, yeah, like I'm imagining like how our content consumption has totally changed. But also I'm guessing too that that also means that attendee expectations around content would change too. So like how does it differ from 1979 when you had a keynote presenter come in and speak? People must have been like, oh my gosh, this is the only time I'm ever going to hear from this guy but me i'm a big fan of him because i listen to his audio cassettes maybe but like you can't just like watch a ted talk online like you can now like how do you think that's different over the years um it's uh, you know i think that we're used to and that the the challenge is that uh um you know it, it has changed a lot there's just so much content on it right now I and mean, that's a challenge is separating the, the good stuff from the uh, the wheat from the chaff so to speak and so it's a uh, you uh there's a lot, you know, it's a con information is cheap. It's wisdom that uh, is uh, what is valued in that these days. And it's hard to get that wisdom sometimes with the, so much uh, content out there. Definitely. It's, it can seem it can seem definitely overwhelming, too. I'm sure the amount of frequency of movies that we watch is way higher, too, now because you can get some access to so many. Or you can watch like seven in a day, whereas before, if you want seven blockbuster movies, you'd be like carrying them all your hands. So I'm, I'm imagining, too, when you come, you talked a little bit about the cassette recordings. Would, were people like, if, for example, someone wanted like lots of breakout rooms, did people like come with like bags and bags leaving with the cassette tapes? Or was it like someone was like, no, I wanted this one talk and that's the only thing I want recorded? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a combination of both. You could buy, you could buy the whole event. You could buy, um, you know, the, the keynote address. A lot of times that, um, you know, they weren't have, didn't have the capability to do it in all the rooms, even though it was just a simple cassette recorder. It was just, either, you know, they just, uh, it's, it's really a, a varied one. But it showed how, you know, <clears throat> things that we take for granted today about. Uh, uh, you know, being able to stream anything that we want and have that content immediately available, high quality content. Um, it, that wasn't the case back then. And that's why events, you know, that's a way that you could come and see this keynote address that you've been following the person. And it was, a, it was really something to be able to take that back home and share with your colleagues and so forth. It's a, it's a whole different deal now. So cool.
and then I want to kind of like jump into I think the other thing that you talked about, which is like the launch, like the big the computer revolution that started happening, right? Microsoft game launched in April fourth, nineteen seventy five. Uh, the the West Coast computer uh, computer fair in San Francisco with Apple II being launched that same year. Like, how do you think that the computer? I mean, I guess we'll kind of uh, and let me know if I'm jumping ahead a little bit. You, how the computer started to revolutionize the events industry as kind of time came out, or should we just keep going down the timeline and see it unfold well, for us? Well, in kind of broad terms, the, you know, you can separate out by decades the major impact that happened by te technology. And for example, the '80s brought the beginnings of computers into the home and office. People just started getting used to it. The 90s brought uh, ace, um, email and basic internet connectivity to it. Um, even though it was 1984 when the Mac came out, but just people, you know, getting in, inculcated into the business processes is what, you know, in the 90s, in the uh, 2000s, it was a widespread adoption of the web, even though People started getting websites in the, uh, before then, but it's the widespread use of it. And, and the 2010s has been the adoption of smartphones and other mobile technology. And, and you know, probably artificial intelligence will be the one for this coming decades. But you know, in a broad scope of things, you know, those are the major influences. But within that, there's been so much that's happened over the years. And I'd be happy to kind of, you know, I look forward to, we can go through some of the different ones uh, on the, throughout the years if you want yeah definitely i think i'm also envisioning that we're gonna have to do an event tech podcast episode like every five years to like recap the last five years and then build upon this epic timeline that gets built but um let's jump yeah let's jump into like the 80s which i think is like considered your start of event tech and i see why because in your article you very much uh, start talking about specific technologies being implemented into the events industry versus just like, oh, yeah, a computer got announced. Like th that wasn't like specifically designed just for events. But I'm starting to see on things here that really specifically targeted events. And let's dive into it with what kind of happened in the 1980s. And you got some good stuff right here. So tell, tell everybody. Well, 1980 was a pivotal a year because, I mean, that was the first time uh, the major registration companies, Galaxy and CompuServe uh, Systems and uh, uh, RCI Registration Control, they are the ones that they brought in um, mini computers. And the re reason why they call them mini computers is that they were the size of a desk instead of the size of a room. And they brought those in and uh, started using those for uh, registration, for making, uh, they had lead retrieval back then, with it, but they used embossed credit card like cards with that and the, the embosser was this giant huge desk size unit and it made noise as it uh, punched out the the thing on your this credit card that you that the uh, um, exhibitors would then take that card and just like an old credit card running through that's how they got that information so then then of course you'd have to you know, so, re re enter that information back because this was not an electronic one. But so it had like a mag strip and everything too. So no, like, it didn't have a mag strip. Oh, no, it didn't, it have, didn't mag have a mag strip. It was in the same way that in the old ways, and you had to you put the credit card down and it was embossed, and you'd uh, run that use a swipe reader over, over there, and then yeah, yeah. so you'd have that name and the address, and and that's what then people would have to re-enter uh, into their whatever, but it, it, computers were So it did really like a carbon a, copy, essentially. It was just like a, a carbon, carbon copy. copy. Wow. It made a carbon copy of it, exactly. And, and also, that was the year that they started, uh, you know, the first computer programs for, um, uh, for event planning 
started. Ray Shaw in uh, in Australia came up with a, is this is a software built um, around a main, uh, mini computer as well, and that eventually it took him a few years, but that uh, that that eventually became Amlink in 1984, and there's another computer software company. Uh, called Peopleware also came out with their product in 1984 and those were the first basic computer programs to uh, help people register and to plan meetings uh, uh, and then by coincidence both of those were merged um, and then uh, Amlink bought Peopleware and then that was bought by certain and there's a whole story that goes after that, but I'm getting ahead of myself on that. So <laughs> we get a little further down the timeline. <laughs> lots of mergers and acquisitions, but those are really the basic starts of it. The, you know, the first types of computerized registration, uh, and the, and the uh, um, major exhibitions were the start. They were the leaders in in history about you know computerized registration, uh, lead retrieval. You know, that whole marketing component, they were the leaders of, of technology in the event tech world. Wow. Okay. So um, what was it like? Because I want to – like I think people – planners always freak out. They're like, man, this software is so hard to use. But I think you probably have stories of some of these early registration systems that had, you know, the room lists and the, the registration information. I mean, we're talking about bossing, carbon copying cards to get contact information. What was like the user interface and experience like? Was it a nightmare or was this like mind-blowingly easy? Like, what was, I, I think I know the answer to this, but <laughs> I'll let you kind of tell it, us. I mean, it was, I mean, that, that was, this was really in the days before DOS, you know, that when, well, 1975 was when Microsoft happened, but DOS, the this operating system, came out after that and, and and those of us that remember DOS and used DOS um, in the 80s, uh, you know, it was incredibly arcane and complex to use that, you know. In, the, in 1984, the uh, Mac came out, the first computer with a graphical user interface and a mouse, and then Windows quickly followed uh, that and that was also, and those ideas were taken from uh, an, an, a, um, um, from Alan Kay, and um, it was it wasn't uh, uh, oh it was it wasn't IBM it was uh, yeah I, was gonna oh, say, I thought that was always Alan Xerox it was the Xerox oh, Xerox was, that's right Xerox yeah. I was Park. thinking IBM too but yeah, Xerox. yeah 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 it was a Xerox Park and they uh, um, and so he, he took the idea Steve Jobs took the idea saw that and incorporated it and then Bill Gates thought yeah that's a really good idea and so that that was really the g genesis of it coming into the home. I, my first computer actually was a Commodore VIC-20, which was, a, you hooked up to the TV set and had, you know, it was really, um, but my first real computer was, an, uh, you know, an uh, um, a IBM type PC using DOS. And that's a, that's a whole series of very strange keystrokes that you'd have to use to get that to, to work. And so that's the way it was. Commands so. by, like you had a book that had all the commands that you had to do. So it'd be like, okay, so you need to register this person. You had to type in, you know, register new and then it would be like okay now enter the person's name you'd enter those things and it'd be like okay i want to save you had to type save and like all those things yeah. like that as well it was all green screens you know monochrome screens i mean it was, it was pretty grim back then so yeah totally totally okay this is incredible okay so another thing that i think that also happened in 1980 that's worth mentioning too because i think it affected operations for events is that you have on here the the that the 
is it Confronon developed out a system of wireless headsets and beepers for <laughs> meetings. So talk talk a little bit about through this and what this was. Well, Confron was uh, um, th this was, was uh, uh, this was founded by Bruce Harris and Dave Lutz, uh, who uh, people probably know from uh, uh, Velvet Chainsaw nowadays. But he, they're the ones that that came up with Confron, and it, it's uh, and they were forward thinking. They had some many. Uh, they uh, used technology early. Uh, early on through that, Confron eventually became Experient, which now is um, is owned uh, um, uh, through other, you know, by a, tra a travel company right now. And so it's, uh, uh, but it was the beginning of that. And it, yeah, they had beepers and you know wireless headsets, and there that was really cool back then. The use of uh, you know before the use of portable radios, walkie talkies, they they were working on that as well. So cool. I mean, like that's such a leap forward too, because I'm sure before then it was everyone running around. Like, oh, if you had to go get something across the convention center that was, you know, a thousand feet away, you had to run all the way over there to go get it um, as well. And that's just something I think we take for granted so much. It's even the idea of radios uh, as well didn't exist at that at that point. Okay, so let's let's keep kind of going down the timeline. I okay. I, I I just get enamored with all this source. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's jump into. I guess. Okay, so. All right, let's talk about this too. So we talked about the like the launch of the li large scale t uh, projection TV. But one thing that you have on here is NHK demonstrates the HD TV with eleven hundred lines of resolution, which, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I, I also equivalent to pixels as well. So in theory, it'd been like eleven hundred pixels tall. Is that am, am I in the kind of right mindset that? Yeah, I'm well, it's a three by four aspect ratio. So it's, you know, it's eleven hundred back then. It was five twenty five was the standard, and so that it doubled the line intensity, which was pretty cool back then. And so I. Um, the company, the association I was working for at that time, SPIE, it started out in 1979, where I had, you know, we were, it was a small association. When I left 18 years later, uh, they we ran the largest meetings in the world in optics, and they still do. So it's a uh, there's this phenomenal growth of catching this tech wave back then. But uh, I, I remember seeing my first. Um, um, first HD TV that was truly, you know, it was a, it was a Sony uh, HD TV. It cost fifty thousand dollars, and I think it was in nineteen eighty six that I saw that, or nineteen eighty that I, that I saw that, and it was just, you know, that was phenomenal. I mean, it was so much better, and, and it had the different aspect ratio, and it was a uh, so they it, there were some really cool. I was able to see. Uh, through this uh, optical engineering uh, society, entryway into a lot of new technology well before we saw it broadly. Wow. That's what really turned me. Part of what really turned me on about technology is it's. it's I was immersed with it. I was working with uh, uh, Nobel Prize winners, and it was it, it was really cool to see what they were coming up with. When you saw when you saw this display for the first time, what ran through your mind as you saw it? Well, there was no con. I mean, they had the pre-recorded content. You know, they had there's no live co content, of course. But I thought this this will change things. You know, this is going to change everything. It was it was, uh, it was a you know much better quality, not as good as what we have today, but it, it was much better quality. And I thought, yeah, you know, this is going to be one of those things that's going to change everything. But then you know, I saw that um, you know as they developed, uh, 
DVD raw and DVDs. You know, that was uh, those scientists were the ones that are doing that, or those the scientists who we were working with were developing even ways on computer chips to make even smaller and smaller lines. And you know, the, every year it was, um, you know, so and t tons of other ways as well. Totally, totally. Well, I, I mean, I I don't know if this is gonna this everyone's gonna laugh at me who's uh, in the podcast who probably at this point starts remembering this history that's gonna start happening as we start to go through it. So I'm gonna really date myself now at this point. But I remember in I think it was yeah 2006 that uh, the World Cup did the first like HD TV like uh, broadcast where it was all in HD. And I remember watching, I didn't actually have a TV that did it, obviously, but I remember I downloaded from a torrent a match and I got it in HD and I watched on my computer and being like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm on the field. Like it was just, it was mind blowing. Like you, I just couldn't think about like, I was just like, wow, this is so crystal clear. Like I can see the blades of grass. And it's funny now because someone's going to look on this, this, this episode is going to live in history because it's in the internet, but like someone's going to laugh at like 4k is obviously really popular now. And that's like an even bigger step up, but right, right. some kid in like, you know, in the 19, the 20, 30s is going to be like 8k man. That's like so pixelated. <laughs> like it's all about like the realistic VR now. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> but and it's going to be, it'll be surround. It'll be in a virtual, it'll be like, the, exactly. It's you can't be like the, the players. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So, uh, take, um, from 1981, uh, kind of moving on down, take me to the next step that you think was like really pivotal, uh, step forward for the events industry when it comes to technology. Um, let's see. I, I think, um, uh, Oh, the compression labs in 1982 uh, began selling video conference systems. They, um, you know, sold for $250,000 each with a $1,000 per hour line charges with this, and so that was the wow. standard back then. That was a, um, so. I wonder, uh, what was the latency like on those video conference systems? Was it just you know I, I wasn't just... watching it back then, but I uh, you know I, I I don't think that the quality I mean it's not near the quality we're expecting today. You know, and still oh, you're dealing with five twenty five resolution lines even at the best, and so it's a um, yeah I I would expect that it, uh, they were the latency would have been a real challenge in some cases you know but that like was a, the start you know you got to start thousand dollars an hour too is crazy yeah. like yeah. like oh now like oh I can't run Zoom for free and I don't get I get only forty <laughs> minutes of talking like right. that like back then if you wanted you would get like a the like a little pixel size of video and it would have cost you a thousand dollars and you would have had to buy the quarter million dollar machine to do it too and I'm guessing you needed two is it is it one system that had two systems like on each end or was it do, do you know it uh, or was it just you know, one single I, system? I, I, I think that was a system I think that I think that was a system that you do go point to point with and wow. so that it be that was the you know all the equipment required to do that mind-blowing okay cool this is awesome just keep going keep take me to the next place you want to okay, go I'm just, well, uh, I mean so much fun right now <laughs> uh, it's nice to speak to a, a true AV geek like I yeah it's myself super as nerdy as right now <laughs> um, well galaxy one of the major uh, trade show registration systems they uh, uh, they had a um, in 1984 um, they had a huge revelation where they put in a they brought in a single microcomputer but they had 120 trade show registration workstations for a digital system corporation and i think that was a you know that was a that that was a really an amazing thing for the super large show and it was it was these different stations that, that um, so, and so the whole idea and we now see that semi regularly that you'd have um, you know this 
the people, their operators, the people, there weren't self-registration, but, you know, to have a, a line of 120 people, you know, entering data um, for these, this register, for a registration is something that was pretty amazing back then. Wow. Yeah, I think that's really interesting too. We take for granted this idea that like we walk up to a trade show and like they, what's your name? Okay, cool. Here's your badge like within seconds or better yet now, like walk up to an iPad, like recognizes your face even and boom, your, ba your badge pop prints out is, uh, I mean, it's crazy to think the fact that like just the idea that 120 computers side by side in 1984 was uh, incredible. And I'm just imagining the network engineer who had to kind of like make sure all the data talked to each other and everything like that. You know, one one computer went down, so the whole network goes down. And, you know, it's probably a big pain in the butt, but stuff that we just totally take for granted now. So, wow, wow. Um, cool. Go ahead, keep going. Uh, 1985 was the first badge making software. Uh, is PC name tag. That company's still around today. Um, it was in, introduced at a uh, a show that I used to go to called Meeting World. Um, they had a dot matrix printer, and when they showed it at Meeting World, um, you know, it could print 120 badges an hour. And it was a, and the, the, it said that when people saw this, they were so amazed that they, you know, their lines in uh, 3D to see this because it was such an amazing uh, advance in uh, computer technology to make your own uh, name badges. Wow. It, it's crazy. I'm just having so much fun because something, again, we just take for granted so much. But I mean, like even just talking like, I mean, the parallels to two, like this idea that like badges were so important to people that it was so uh, important that this new technology came out that people were super excited for. But I do want to also give props to PC name tag. They're still around, like you said, and they're still kicking it and uh, doing, you know, some of the best badge printing technologies out there. Just like shout out to them for sticking around for some. Oh yeah, uh, uh, Nick Tapitsis was the, he's now retired but still involved with it. But he was a uh, he's been a mainstay and a supporter of the industry all through the years. He's been a a great guy and he really did a um, you know he improved the industry by providing that uh, technology. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's go on to the next thing that's on here. This, okay. I'm just like uh, well, getting excited seeing the timeline unfold. Everyone else is just listening and just like kind of sees, but I see the whole timeline. Well, <laughs> 1986 is when Meeting Matrix came out. This is the first room diagramming software. It was in DOS. is written in DOS, and it's a uh, by E.J. Sywick, is a, a guy that did it. And uh, um, you know, I was heavily into meeting planning at that time. We were running these very large, complex uh, scientific meetings with. Uh, 12,000 people in 50 simultaneous meeting rooms. And I started using Meeting Matrix pretty shortly after that because it was, it was, a, it diagrammed everything to scale. And it was a much better way if you had a setup crew, you just hand them the, a picture of what you want rather than a text of what you wanted, especially for anything. And so you, you would, first of all, you know if everything would fit because it's the scale. And then it made, it made setup easier. Um, but that was, for me, revolutionary. I, I diagrammed every room that we, we diagrammed every room on our team of all the meetings that we did because it was such a helpful tool. Wow. I mean, like social tables and like eat your heart out, right? Like back in 1986, like that you guys were already starting to do it. And did it like utilize any sort of like computer assisted design? Like was it like CAD based? It was It or? was not CAD based. It was a vector uh, uh, oh. design. It was not a CAD based system, but it was a uh, 
and it was pretty basic back then and they improved it as it came out for windows and then it uh, you know you could drag and drop and put things in and so it was a it was a better system but it was uh, um, and that's kind of the one that i used uh, you know, through my meeting planning years it was a indispensable tool very cool very cool all right let's keep going down the timeline um, let's see, uh, 1987, uh, uh, first association focusing on meetings technology. It was it was its name was lost to history, but it was quickly incorporated in into MPI's the Computer Special Interest Group. So computers <laughs> are starting to make a um, some impact then, and also a really big audiovisual one in 1987, PowerPoint One. Uh, originally called Presenter was released, and it, it came only as only in monochrome, and it only had one transition that was only for the Macs. But that was the start of a presentation wow. revolution as well. And was I, I should know the answer to this question? Was PowerPoint originally made by Microsoft? Uh, no, no, it was no. Uh, it was uh, it was made for Mac, and so it was originally called Presenter, and, and so the Macintosh oh, wow. bought it, and then. Uh, then they made it later on. I don't know what specific date that they converted over to Windows. Probably pretty close to af after that. But it was, uh, you know, it came that's on one disc that. that you put on your Macintosh, and you know, it just uh, it that's launched crazy. it up, and that's how it worked. And so, man, something. Let's 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 all take a moment to reflect. Also, that was like the death of like of great presentations 1987 <laughs> now people we know where to go back in history it's like the moment where bad presentations started so if you want to go rewrite history just go to 1987 and make sure powerpoint never got created no i'm just kidding but <laughs> <laughs> now you know where to when to point to blame yeah exactly exactly <laughs> all right uh, all right let's keep going in 1988 one uh, d barcodes emerged and and that was they started to be used as paper-based uh, lead retrieval systems and it just only give you know wouldn't give all the details just give a number and then you reference that number to the registration list but that, at least that was something it was that you could do that so that was the uh, happening and uh, and also that was the year that uh, uh, there are 16 hotel chains that uh, they each contributed a hundred thousand dollars and to fund a startup company called this uh, the hotel switch company and hotel industry switch company which is was commonly known as Thisco, which now, uh, which became Pegasus, but that made computerized reservation systems possible with, a, you know, Sabre and Pegasus and those, and so those are the ones that came from from that big step. So that's not really that long ago that you, you know, that computerized hotel reservations across a wide scale of hotels could be done. So that was an amazing step as well. Wow. Okay. So the two definitely big things to, to break down on there. I'll, I'll reflect on the most recent one, but like, I mean, just the idea of registering for get buying your hotel and just being able to do it digitally. Uh, like I, like I can't even imagine a time without obviously like I, I was born in 1989, which we're about to get to in a little bit. So I obviously don't remember a time before then, but it's crazy to think that, um, that yeah, that there there was no way for them to communicate with each. Oh, you know, I actually need to move my reservation to this hotel instead. Or oh, hey, can you confirm that you have this? Like it was all paper records um, as well. Um, well but one it, thing for, think, same for even booking hotels. You know, the way you do it is called the book. Each hotel had a big book that they went into, and they would open up with all the and that's how you you'd write in 
the group that in, in that time and that's how they did it you know so that's it that's crazy yeah. <laughs> well imagine that book it like uh, let, i mean like worst case scenario let's say like there's a fire or like if someone spilled coffee over it you would lose all your records is it i mean we talked about that, how it was crazy for that to happen with computers and you didn't have a backup but like imagine your book but I'm sure what happened is someone's job was to copy everything out of it into a second book that yeah, was probably like another room, right? <laughs> well, yeah, they, they, you'd have the contracts and you know all those things that would be, yeah, true. you know, and those are all you know handwritten and mailed and you know, exp you know just express mailed back back and forth <laughs> and with the signatures and all of that. So it was after still a largely paper based world back then. Wow. Well, so then the next thing I kind of want to comment on was the the one D barcodes, which I think is like who would have known that barcodes would have been so influential? But I didn't think about this. But you, I think um, whatever year it was that you that carbon copy technology came into um, uh, into existence. Um, I don't know, where exactly is it? Um, here it is in 1980, where uh, the, the kind of the embossed credit card style, where you do the carbon copy. You, you mentioned that it was before then everyone had an attendee number and they would just give the attendee number and then the exhibitor would go back and just reference that number to get the contact information from a separate database. This seems like it's almost it's kind of interesting that you kind of had that embossing technology, but then now it's barcodes. It's almost going back step to reference that number, but that's the basics of it. Is the barcode reference a number which pulled up the database um, as well, which is just it, super duper cool. Yeah, but but the difference was at least you had an electronic candy list, and so yeah. that that number would reference electronic piece of inform information. So you're not with it with the embossed one. You are. A person had to take that credit card copy essentially and and then enter it in or write it down into whatever system that they had so that they had a record of who that um, that person was. Wow. And uh, and like uh, if we think about this in terms of like speed too, right? Before it was okay, I got to write everything out. Okay, now we have the the trend. Like I'm gonna do the carbon copy, like which um, anyone who knows what a carbon copy is knows the action I'm making with my arms. Um, and then the next thing was that like now you have barcodes, which were like click with a barcode scanner and boom, you immediately got the information almost instantaneously as well. Again, like speeding up that process. It's funny how we complain so much about like like simple things like this, but like when we're attendees and like, oh, you have to like touch my badge to yours to get the information that takes like two seconds. How dare you, you know, like whereas before it's like, okay, give me your card. But I'm also wondering too, how this effect with lead retrieval has also affected the marketing industry because because it's so easy to gain attendee information, the the commitment level is low, right? Tap a badge, like scan the barcode. But like if you wanted to get information from a vendor, you had to be like, let me take my card out, get it carbon copied, stand there and have to look at a salesperson, right? Like, oh, the commitment, like the psychology behind that is also, I think, very fascinating to me as well. <laughs> Well, it points um, out what, you know, trade shows. It was about, you know, there's a bottom line. You're putting the buyers together with sellers. And so that was driven by, by a need. And they're just trying to figure out what would be the best use of technology. And it started out really in clunky manners. And so it's, it's gotten progressively easier. Definitely, definitely. All right, let's keep going uh, okay. down the line because I realized that there's less information. Like I'm, I like there's less information about technology earlier on, and we're gonna get to the point where we have so much documentation. Okay. So let's keep going. I'm okay, well, then, well, 1989, PC name tag and Laser's Edge developed software to print laser printed badges, and so that was a big step for improved uh, quality. And uh, you know, the dot matrix was a really poor, um, poor version of that. So that's a, uh, so that's. Uh, that was a big thing. Let's see. And then 
there are other things. I mean, the, the in 1991, uh, uh, PlanSoft, which was part, of, it grew from Compris, uh, um, for, uh, from Confron. It was Confron actually. You know, who developed the, you know, early on had the headsets and so forth. Well, uh, they uh, built a uh, built a separate company called PlanSoft, and they began the development of Genus, which is the first standardized way of setting up meeting specification communications between meeting planners and hotels. And it was, they, it rolled out in 1995, but the web was taking off then. And so this is not a web-based tool. It was electronic, but it was not, not a web-based tool. And, it, and so it was his, Bruce was well ahead of his time when he came up with this idea uh, of doing that. And so, uh, and they had several other advances as well. So. Wow. Um, let's see, in 1993, and I was part of this actually, uh, uh, the development of MPINet, which was the first online discussion group for meeting professionals. Um, and it was a, created as a forum on CompuServe. This is the first time that uh, most of them, it, uh, we started out with, uh, our core group we started out with was 16, and it grew to more than uh, 2,600 members uh, during that time. And, and it was the first experience for many of those 2,600s to ever be on email. And so it was, uh, um, you know, and, you know, that's really when, um, th that's the time that American Online and Delphi, those started to go over to, instead of using these proprietary systems, they went over to using the Internet. And um, so that's a, it's a key thing that happened. Uh, it eventually became, now it's uh, became, that was disbanded, now it's MPI web on a web-based tool. But that first time, uh, people really excited about using technology to communicate this forum was a really uh, very big step. Oh, awesome. Wow. The things we take for granted nowadays, like uh, now there's a thousand online communities for events now. Incredible. Incredible. Uh, in 1994, registration control system and Galaxy provided magnetic stripe ah, readers, and so that's when that came in uh, with that magnetic stripe uh, readers for trade show lead retrieval. Um, let's see. Uh, in Ooh. 1995, uh, the Holiday Inn opened up the first hotel website with online purchasing and sleeping rooms. That's just not very long ago, and the. Uh, first online meeting registration started became uh, uh, emerging and starting to use the web for uh, to do registrations. It, back at that time, it was all hand coded by programmers. You couldn't, it didn't have template driven ones, and so then that was a really big in demand thing for people to start making that um, with that. And also, uh, that was the year that uh, Reed. Uh, the, trade, the intermediate trade show is the first to use 2D barcode paper-based badge lead retrieval. So thus the 2D would have then all the information in electronic format, the, the address, uh, the name, company address, and telephone number, and, uh, and probably uh, maybe email back then, although there, it wasn't used by everybody back then. So, it, uh, so that's when they started uh, uh, having that. So that was an advance in, in that. Um, 
1996, the San Francisco Miyako Hotel. Well, um, well, before we get into that okay. real quick, before we get into okay. 1996, there's, a, I think, a very pivotal moment that happened in 1995 that now is leading to what we are experiencing now in the 2020. In 2020. Um, for anyone who's listening this time, we're recording this on April 30th, 2020, so to understand context, because there's a lot of, I think, historical stuff happening in this current day. If you Feel free to look in the history books if you want to understand what we're referencing. But net me, Microsoft Net Meeting was launched. And I remember this. I remember this app being on Windows 95 and it allowed people to meet virtually in remote locations and soon became Web uh, or joined WebEx and Placeware um, as well, which allowed screen sharing and audio and slides and file sharing. Like that's the first virtual meetings yes. that were happening, yeah. which is just like incredible. Um, and if also, if you're wondering where webinars came from and where to blame for webinars, this is another time in history you can go back to and change this if you don't like webinars. Um, anyway, sorry, I totally wanted this like no, reflect on. So. That, that's a good point. It was really the first virtual meetings out there. You know, it was uh, at that time, and so it was. Uh, yeah, that's a, wow. that's a, that was a good point. Awesome. So yeah, let's jump in 1996. Sorry, I totally okay. interrupted you. My no, mind. that's right. Thanks for well for bringing that up because that was a significant <laughs> one. I, um, the Miyako Hotel in San Francisco, now the Radisson in San Francisco, provide the first online request for proposals. Uh, it was built by Cardinal Communications by, by my friend Rod, Rodman Marymore. And uh, also that year, Passkey was a, a, one of the first, if not the first, online housing room block management company. And so um, it was... a. Uh, uh, it, it essentially started in uh, in a garage, and and then it was uh, it, it grew to you know, um, and and they started building it for and people started using it. Then Passkey was sold and um, merged, and it's now essentially part of uh, 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 of C actually. So it's uh, wow. after a whole series of mergers, and we'll get to talk about mergers because that in this last decade has just been. Yeah, I was gonna say. Right it's, with, I just see the, the coming out. Merger, 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 merger. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming fast. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, in, in, through 1996 and 97, that's when most major hotels and meeting industry associations developed websites. It wasn't until then where we really started. And so that's when you you have the early adoption of. But that's when you started the year. The decade of the 2000 was one where you really start these get developed in these times but then people really started using them in the year 2000 so that's a um uh, 1999 uh, hot dates hot rates.com came out which was the first line of uh, first website to provide distressed inventory hotel meeting space and sleeping rooms and usually at a short notice and discounted uh, discounted rates and then we go into the years, you know, the next decade, you know, the year 2000, and that was one of the big trends that happened there, especially early in that time. But it was as people started, um, these registration companies really started to take hold. They, they these online registration, but then um, it was it's really about they became application service providers, and they um, and ASPs became uh, that uh, they would have one central location and uh, sometimes that was in their server so it was the idea instead of you have special software for your server it you go to a company that handled that and distributed that and put your data with them and so you started seeing this for 
you know, registration companies, but for exhibit management, for uh, speaker management, you started seeing a whole range of tools becoming available for meeting planners uh, starting in the 2000s. And so, and then in 2000 was one that uh, SpotMe is a uh, an early mobile networking device. It was proprietary, but it was the way it led the way to mobile app uh, uh, planning because it did many of those same things. And I, uh, I actually had the pleasure of participating in the first online demonstration of uh, uh, of SpotMe, and it was in, at the Excel Conference Center in London. And it was a, uh, uh, and I was speaking there, and then we were using SpotMe, and I, and I. Um, you know, it was an amaze. You could tell who was around you from, you know, one of the things that has a radar. And so you'd have a, uh, people that were within 30 feet as a Bluetooth type of, wasn't Bluetooth, but it was that, that type of technology. And so that you could see who all the people were that were standing around you and what their contact name and what the information is. So, and planners and voting and a whole bunch of things. So also, uh, Apex, Accepted Practices Exchange, uh, initiative was started by the con con CIC then the Convention Industry Council now it's the EIC Events Industry Council uh, it's a voluntary standards to improve the meetings industry and they went through a whole range of different um, types of, of standards for that of uh, you know how you do registration standards and uh, um, housing block management and the whole range of different technologies that came through or standards for that um, um, let's see, 2001, the uh, use of online meeting collaboration tools such as WebEx and PlaceAir, um, they spiked after the 9-11 attack. And so that was, you know, those things kind of similar to virtual technologies that are happening right now. You know, it, uh, uh, crisis breeds opportunity and, uh, and innovation. And that's what we're seeing right now is a huge amount of innovation. But back then, one of the, uh, the trends were uh, spiked by the whole 9-11 attack. Um, Starsight offers the first web-based two-way real-time RFP tool for meeting space uh, back then and, and meeting space in meeting rooms. And so that was a big movement forward with that. Um, let see, 2002. Um, there are uh, networking products were first introduced. and. Uh, and so business matchmaking programs and Columbia Resources Group's real product and there's Intro Network and Expo Exchange's Smart Event. These were technologies, web-based technology used to match people up with like interest at events. And so that was a big step. Now we kind of take that, you know, all for granted, but the early pioneers happened back then. Um, um, in 2004, the number of online bookings by Hilton was the first time that it, uh, the online bookings exceeded the call center. And so that was a kind of a, 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 an idea of how people are really starting, you know, the mass adoption of web technology is happening in, in these times. And so the, you, you see that the, the uh, in 2005, I'd mentioned PeopleWare and Amlink. Uh, they merged under the Amlink name and then later on um, were per purchased by a certain software. Um, um, Let's see, 2006 mobile technology provide, uh, such as login de uh, developed for meetings, include a variety of tools such as product directories, logon, I meant to say, product directories, networking functions, schedules, and audience 
voting all with standard cell phones. And so wow. this is a text-based tool, you know, text respond was uh, was coming then. And so it was really basics uh, uh, on, on phones. But it was the idea that that led the way to mobile apps and we all take for granted right now. Well, the early steps were that. 2007 was- Well, before you go go too much into that too, I think it's uh, important to also recognize the kind of trend that happened over it from 2004 to kind of 2006 too. Like Facebook was started in 2004, right? Like all these online social networks started coming. And I think one thing you have on here, like the web 2.0, and I I guess I just get excited because this is like very much when I was like in peak internet. Uh, Will actually started my company in this next year coming up. Um, But like blogs and, you know, wikis were starting to become super duper popular as well. And a lot of really, really cool stuff was starting to happen. But it just seems like this is like really when everyone like mass adoption, like intense adoption of the Internet starts to happen. So I think you're going to start seeing that it's funny to hear like, oh, this cell phone based texting software to poll was popular. But reality, like I'm guessing that probably, oh, I'm not even going to do it. But the next year. It gets replaced by something else. So I'm going to let you keep going so uh, we can kind of no. keep going down. Well, and back then it was called Web 2.0. It wasn't called social media, too. And so it was, <clears throat> and so, and you started getting into blogs and video blogs and uh, wikis, you know, interactive websites. Those things were starting to develop on that time. So that that re- is a really significant change, societal change, but also one that uh, really started impacting the events as well. Yeah, I think that you you bring up like a, a really good point too that like that also changed started to change how content was being done. I mean, we talked about VHSs back in the day was how you recorded it, but now this is when um, I think it was yeah it was 2006. Uh, you also had on here on oh no 2005 is when YouTube became uh, really popular, and I think that's about I think 2006 was when YouTube got acquired. No, no, no. Yeah, YouTube got acquired by Google, I think, like 2006 or so. Um, so it became super duper popular for for you to be able to digest content online for free, which is, uh, I think, the, a big shift in the technology and how we designed our events as well. A couple of interesting things happened in uh, 2007. First of all, um, Twitter was debuted. It wasn't debuted, but it was the first time that uh, um, it w- well, went from at the South by Southwest conference. Um, and it went from 20,000 users per day to 60,000 users a day. Now, of course, there are millions and millions of tweets. Each <laughs> millions day now, of tweets but, now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and that was uh, um, that was the time when uh, um, Mark Zuckerberg was being interviewed, and um, and there is a whole Twitter conversation that's happening in the back channel. Um, and, uh, you know, they, that they didn't like the interviewer, actually. And, you know, it really wasn't what Mark was saying, but it was the interviewer and how she, she wasn't doing a very good job. And so someone tweeted out, I'll give $10 for someone to yell out, you suck, you suck. And uh, someone took him up on the offer. So it, went, it was the wow. first time where, you know, Twitter was used in this big audience, but also it went very badly because people didn't realize that you have this back channel here. So, yeah, like this other conversation was happening in, on this technology of Twitter while also the main stage content was happening as well. Fascinating. So in 2008, Amlink, who owned uh, Peopleware at the time, was purchased by, or was acquired by Certain Software and uh, hoping to expanding its event management portfolio at uh, it was eventually bought back by Amlink later on. We could probably get to that when we go to it. But it's a uh, in 2010, uh, Skype provides high-definition video conferencing for free 
uh, and provide the planner's ability for the first time to stream pretty good quality video signal for free at events. And so that was a, uh, that was a significant event at that time. And, and that was the time when we, it was 2007 when the iPhone was released. And that was the model for all smartphones today. And, uh, but it, it also takes a little lag before people start using that. And it was really in 2010 where uh, mobile apps specifically for events and trade shows really started to see a huge growth with hundreds of, literally hundreds of companies opening up uh, around that time to provide these services. And so that was a really big change that happened that we are still experiencing today. Definitely, definitely. Man, there's so much good stuff. Keep going, keep going. Okay, yeah. uh, 2011. Uh, a future watch uh, survey conducted by MPI said that more than 80% of meeting professionals use smartphones and other mobile devices in their job, yet only 9% had used mobile applications for their own events. And so these are starting to build up, but it was not very widely used even, you know, less than 10 years ago. So it's a... Um, in 2012, Active Networks acquires Starsight and Starsight uh, previous mergers of these uh, companies included um, the, the, the RegWeb, Be There, See You There, PlanSoft, On Vantage, Reg Online, Wingate Web, and others. You know all these pioneering um, web technology, event technology companies were all acquired by Active Network, which um, uh, then is going to be acquired. And this this was the decade of acquisitions. And you know, a number of the things, the major, major events I'll be talking about is people acquiring others and bringing it through. But, uh, you know, in 2013, Vista Equity Partner acquires Lanyon. Um, and Lanyon was an acquisition of, you know, the um, number of other uh, companies as well. So, which was it's active network Lanyon part of it. So, um, uh, the um, Loop, one of the first companies to use wearable beacons, started in Silicon Valley in uh, 2013. And that's uh, crazy. I remember meeting Brian for the first time, yeah. and like that's crazy to think like how like that was yeah that was the first to use wearable beacons, and yeah now it's owned by Eventry. Oh, well, eTouches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's owned by it was acquired by uh, eTouches now, which are now Eventry in 2017 as well. Um, 2014, mobile event companies such as uh, EventBase, Double Dutch, Genie Connect start using Beacon technologies um, uh, introduced in 2013 by Apple Computer. And so that was a, a big thing. Uh, 2015, data analytics expanded um, with the launch of InsightXM. And so we start, now we start thinking about we're getting all this data finally, you know, we're, we're doing it. What do we do with it? And so uh, companies such as Bear Analytics and InsightXM and uh, others started to work their way into, um, you know, so let's, let's, let's help you make use of this by helping you clean the data, making sure it's good, uh, being able to visualize it to be able to get the insights. And so that was a, a significant step forward. Um, the uh, 2016 was the biggest event software merger in history, uh, where uh, Vista Equity Partners, who had already owned Lanyon, which had all these different companies there, acquired Cvent, and they paid 1.65 billion dollars 
uh, for Cvent, uh, by far and away the largest software purchase ever made, uh, event planning software purchase ever made. Um, also, right at that time, they acquired Marketo, the sales automation company, for $1.79 billion. But that really shows where uh, that's an indication of, uh, first of all, that events have become central to an overall marketing uh, campaign and also just the power of, uh, of events that they were you know this purchase of spending so much to do that technology uh, could you get that technology and bring it in is um, is a it was a really significant uh, event and so uh, grip was one of the first computers to use artificial intelligence for their event matchmaking firm and uh, company and so that and that's precursor what you're going to see what you are seeing now that artificial intelligence that's going to be this the trend of the of the decade of the 2020s because it's a uh, you're really starting to see that come through and then also in 2017 or in 2017 uh, the two largest meeting plan technology firms Cvent and Lanyon which were both acquired by uh, uh, Vista Equity Partners merged uh, also GES acquires Pokemon a wearable NFC uh, badge uh, engagement and measurement system Freeman launched uh, major developments in the area of augmented and virtual reality and we're going to see those things continue to increase as a, and also uh, Sciencio which is now called 2442chat developed one of the first AI powered chatbots for the events industry and you're starting to see chatbots becoming a part of it as well. Two thousand eighteen, there are major acquisitions, and uh, Cvent acquires Quick Mobile. They acquire Social Tables. Eventry acquires uh, ITN International, which provides some of the largest registrations in the world, including the Consumer Electronics Show and the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. They've run those in the back. Um, you were mentioning early on about facial recognition and Zenus. Um, it was the first company, or one of the first, I think was the first to use facial recognition to stream, streamline their registration process. And that's something that you will continue to see increasing use on that. Um, uh, it, in 2018, it was an interesting one because a, a direct booking of meeting space um, became um, really, there are a whole number of different companies that came out there. And, and they're following. Um, a, the pattern uh, newly done uh, the, of uh, Airbnb, which is, you know, they, if you go to these sites, there's Spacer and Pure Space and Event Up and Space Base and a range of other ones. They're, uh, um, you know, they, if you go to those sites, they'd say, hey, this looks like an Airbnb site because, you know, that interface is about, about the same with that. But it was the, the big step forward. You could directly book space. And there are a lot of more unique. They weren't standard hotels most of them were um, but a meeting planner could go in not have to go through a lengthy negotiation with a hotel sales and sign contracts back and forth you can go in put your credit card in and bam you have the space that you want and it's and it's, it's some interesting venues a lot of times as well um, uh, 2019 you know, Freeman announces fusion that's the largest data integration project in event history and uh, more than 90 companies have participated in some of the major event tech companies they've agreed that uh, using um, their um, APIs application programming interfaces uh, that they can 
share data in a much easier, simpler manner. And, and Freeman, their plans are to really take that more into event data analytics as well to make sense of all these disparate or you have you may have uh, an event deck of 10 different event technology companies and you're getting data from all these different ones from your mobile app and from your registration site and from the beacon technologies and from polling and you know all these different ones and if you can start uh, pull, uh, pulling those uh, in and make sense of that data that's a big step forward and, um, also C-Vent acquired Double Dutch um, Freeman acquires conference, a convention data service, one of the major online registration companies out there. And uh, Wordly, it's an artificial intelligence-based system, provides simultaneous uh, translation capabilities in up to 15 languages for events, replacing, in some cases, the need for much more expensive human interpreters in sound booths and uh, on-site with that. So it's all done using artificial intelligence. And and now there are a number of companies that are doing that as well. And you're seeing that as a common uh, uh, practice with a uh, we're going to be seeing that with webinars, with uh, you know large uh, webcasts, as well as at events as well, because it really democratizes and makes that a much more affordable and, and reasonable way of, of doing it. Absolutely! Wow. Uh, well, that's like the end of the the doc that you had put together with all the history of it. So um, we'll, we'll definitely give a link down to that below. But I think there's one piece of history that we 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 can definitely i think mention and add to the list which probably this year in 2020 was obviously the coronavirus and how this has shifted the events industry so much and i'm sure that um a lot of this is going to get updated and refrain or uh, and uh, reframed around that whole concept because i get a chance to kind of it's kind of cool to get to comment on history in terms of like the webex launching and things like that but yeah i mean like some big news happening obviously like for example this year zoom like went from being this okay video conferencing to like a billion dollar company overnight um and things like that and now this rise what the rise of technology is going to look like moving forward as well it's going to be crazy um the chinese character uh for crisis is actually two different characters and one of the characters is for danger and the other character is opportunity and i think that there is a uh, th there's a great opportunity for uh, uh, for innovation, for change that's happening here, and that we're seeing so much innovation happening in the virtual event space. And it's going to um, virtual for the near term. Virtual events are the only way, but for the uh, long term, virtual events and hybrid events, especially as people start edging their way back into face-to-face -face meetings. Um, you know, there's still going to be a component of the people that are not going to be coming either because uh, they don't have the finances or they're afraid of contagion still until we really get a handle on all that stuff. Um, and so the hybrid meetings are going to be that transition method that uh, I believe that most events are going to have a significant size will have a significant hybrid component to it because because of this. But in the long term, I think that this is a this is a real game changer. This is something that uh, mm -hmm. um, you know hybrid. We're there's so many new ways, and we've all been on Zoom meetings. We've all been on these other um, webcasts and, uh, and webinars and so forth. And and you're seeing cool ideas. You know, with Zoom, you have the breakout rooms, and you can you know get in uh, ways of uh, interacting and engaging. And so all this innovation is coming up, and it's a it's an exciting time. It's scary right now, but it's an exciting time in terms of innovation that we're Absolutely. seeing. 
Well, I mean, like, if there's one thing I've, I think I've taken back this, obviously I think I've learned so much, and I'm sure everyone else as well, but the the thing that we kind of didn't get a chance to do, but now we got to get to as we've looked at it, is that all throughout history in this entire timeline, there was crises that happened with this. And I'll, I'll take a look at maybe the last major crisis we had, which was 2001, right? And it, people thought it was going to be like the end of the events industry, I'm sure. I mean, I, mean, I was, you know... 11 years old at that time. So I had no idea the events industry was even a thing, but I'm sure at the time people said, Oh, people aren't going to want to meet. People aren't going to fly to each other. Right. And what you end up seeing is like the innovations that came out of this. And like, that was also like the year that uh, we didn't get a chance to note this, but like Travelocity and orbits came out and everyone's freaking about attrition problems and we're going to lose all of our income. But like, Look how the events industry has evolved and changed from that as well. And it, and it did, probably looks totally different from 2001 until now it looks now. And I'm sure, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to look back on 2020 and be like, oh, yeah, we thought that was a crisis. But look how much opportunity we got out of it, which I think is um, just phenomenal as we kind of get a chance to um, look back on history as well. Um, so yeah, so, um, man, I, I, I usually try to keep these episodes pretty short, but I knew this one, I was going to go a little long cause there's going to be so much good information corporate and we didn't even get a chance to cover all of it as well. There's, there's even more in here. So I have a feeling there's going to be a part two, part three, part four that comes back on this. And we might have to even just come and bring you back to talk about specific moments in time as well. We're, I'm sure we'll look at the evolution of web technology coming forward and everything like that as well. But Corbin, I, Thank you so much for taking the time and thank you for doing the service of like putting together this documentation so we can look back on history uh, as well and get a chance to reflect on how event technology has changed so much over the years. It has been really fun to watch over the years. It's we are living in, in an amazing time and, uh, and we'll get all through. We'll get through this current crisis as well. But it's a uh, um, it's been fun to see how uh, technology can improve the business process for events. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Corbin, I'm sure this won't be the last time we see you on the Event Tech Podcast, but if there was a piece of history that you thought was really, really interesting, audience, we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and email us eventtechpodcast at helloendless.com and let us know what piece of history we missed that you think was a big impact on the events industry and event technology. Let us know. And I know that, Corbin, you're also wanting to hear those too. So we're going to send them right on over your way so we can keep expanding this out as well. But Corbin, thank you again for being on the show and uh, taking the time to chat with us. Absolutely. My pleasure, Will. Thanks for inviting me. Awesome. Well, we'll catch you guys all next time on the Event Tech Podcast, and we'll look forward to seeing what the next, uh, you know, 60 years look like for event technology. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks again for listening to the Event Tech Podcast. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to head to eventtechpodcast.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. We'll see you next week on the Event Tech Podcast.